What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Frank Campanella on the line. He is of Culinary Lion Keto on Instagram. How are you, man? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, absolutely. I uh, was scrolling through, I'm not even sure what it was, some kind of message or thread on Instagram, and I came across your profile, and you just have like recipe after recipe, just like food porn, and I'm like, man, I got to get this guy on the show because he's got beef ribs on here, he's got all kinds of keto-friendly pastas, seemed like a, a good fit. No, I appreciate it, man. That's, you know, my whole background, uh, you know, I've been a chef pretty much my entire life. Uh, I started washing dishes when I was 15 and worked my way up through the ranks, and, uh, you know, I love cooking, but at the same time, cooking's kind of what got me into a lot of trouble as far as my weight and uh, unhealthy lifestyle. So it's, uh, as I always tell people, I'm now using my powers for good instead of evil. What kind of a restaurant were you in prior to doing what you're doing now? Man, you name it, I've done it. I've opened up Irish pubs. I've done Tex-Mex. I've done Italian. I've done seafood, uh, barbecue. Uh, my brother and I actually used to compete competitively um, on the KCBS circuit. We had a, a barbecue team called Godfather Barbecue. And uh, we used to do competitions. So, you know, if if you can kill it, I can cook it. I guess that's a good way to think of it. Nice, man. Nice. I've, in, in doing all that variety with the different styles of restaurant, which one was the biggest pain in the butt to work in and which one do you prefer the most? Oh, you know, Irish pubs, it, it's funny. You know, the food to me is just kind of boring. You know, fish and chips and, you know, bangers and mash. It's, it, it just wasn't my style of food. but. Uh, company that I worked for, they open up different concepts. And at the time they said, Hey, we want to do an Irish pub. And I said, all right, I'll figure out how to open up one. So they kind of give me the concept and then I run with it and I start researching the, uh, you know, the ideas and the concept. And I always try to put my own twist on it. So it's not just your kind of run of the mill thing, but Irish pubs are definitely not my favorite thing to do. But on the other hand, I'd say I loved opening up the barbecue restaurant. And uh, being that I'm an East Coast guy, I'm from Maryland, uh, I love doing seafood. So fish, crab, shrimp, you know, anything like that. I'm jealous, man. Crystal, my wife, she absolutely hates fish and any type of seafood. So I, I love it. But since she doesn't at all, I don't really get much of it. So I'm trying to figure out something that she would enjoy eating. But man, it's she's a, she's a tough person to please when it comes to her palate. It's tough. You know, what I always recommend is people that don't like like the, the fishy fish, maybe to try mm -hmm. something like a cod or even a flounder. The, the mild white fish and halibut is basically the Cadillac of fish. So if if she doesn't like halibut, there's just no hope and you can give up after. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like, I mean, especially with keto, it's kind of, I never, I normally don't gravitate towards fish because it's such a lean, you know, item. But if you slap enough butter or anything, it, it becomes keto. So I feel like halibut with, you know, ample butter and, surely she would at least be open to trying it. Well, you know, that's the thing with, with fish. The reason I do like it is it's a perfect canvas. And, you know, you think a lot about a lot of classic French recipes. What's the number one ingredient in any French recipe? It's butter. And it's lots mm -hmm. of it. So you can kind of control your macros. You know, the fish doesn't necessarily bring a lot to the table other than maybe, you know, protein and omega-3s. But then you bring your own fat and you can bring whatever fat you want. Bring grass-fed butter. You want to cook it in bacon fat. 
you know, so you get to play with it and you get to control the flavor and, you know, the macros. So let's talk a little bit about cooking technique, man. I mean, I'm, I'm trying, I'm by no means a chef, but I've, I've, I take pride in the fact that I know how to cook a meal at least. Like I'm not relying on, you know, frozen foods by any means. So when it comes to cooking technique, what are your go-to, uh, you know, practices? I think, you know, there's, if you want to do keto, and I think the thing that I've noticed about just judging from the questions, I get constantly people sending me questions every night. How do I cook this? How do I do that? And so it's great because the people kind of tell me what they want to know. And there's just there's certain basics that I see a lot of people that they, uh, I'll give you a great example. It's like an Alfredo sauce. Never bring your cream to a boil and then add in your cheese because what happens is cheese breaks because of the high temperature. So if you just slowly simmer the cream, turn it to low, whisk in the cheese, you're going to have a perfect, creamy, smooth sauce that doesn't break. A lot of the train wrecks that I see on Instagram some nights, I know exactly what they did and I want to help. You know, I want to reach out, but at the same time, I don't want to seem like a jackass telling somebody how to cook their dinner. It's kind of funny you say that, man. There's um, So I've got uh, keto culinary stuff. He sends me some recipes he makes for like using the keto bricks as the base of the recipe. And he'll he's use fantastic. like a lot of, yeah, he's a, he's an artist, man. But he'll send me something that has like heavy cream that I'm supposed to, you know, warm up to a certain temperature. And in the past, I was always like, you know, you know, put it on high heat, throw a little bit of this in there, a little bit of that, a little dash of this, a little dash of that, and then be done with it. But you can't really do that with certain things. Like there's a like chemistry behind it, and if you you know exceed that tipping point, then you have to start all over. Which is what I do with most of the stuff he sends me. You know, it's it's funny because you know like. You've got that product, the keto brick, and I've got to imagine that even though it is a shelf stable product, there there's got to be some temperature sway where you can kind of reach that point of no return. And I'm sure that when you were developing it, you may have hit some snags along the way. Oh man, that there was a, there's a whole story behind that. Um, so we melt the cacao butter and then add in all the other ingredients and mix it up and everything. And I initially, I mean, I, we were making very small batches, doing all this like in house, just Crystal and I originally. And had no idea what we were doing, learning as we were going. And we'd get this cacao butter hot, pour it in, and call it good. We did that one day, and it was, like, way, way, way too hot. Like, I mean, it was just steaming. It had a different different texture, different look, different color, different everything. But we just assumed that it'd be okay, so we poured it in. I think what wound up happening was it scalded the protein powder, and then the resulting taste was just horrendous. So I, I felt terrible because I didn't know any, I didn't know what was, what was going on. And then I got a report of a brick tasted terrible. So we, we contacted those people. There was like a super small batches in the very beginning. There was like 30 people. And we contacted them, you know, one-on-one. We're like, hey, this is what happened. We're sorry. We placed their bricks and, and made it right. You know, it's it's funny. Like the uh, the, the French like chocolatiers, you know, it's it's an art form what these guys can do. And, mm-hmm. you know, but it's it's all about the balance. It's the temperature. You can't cool it down too fast. You know, if you cool it down too fast, the chocolate will seize up on you. If, like you said, if you bring it up too fast and it gets too hot, the, the it'll actually break. And if you ever taste like chocolate or uh, sauce, taste almost gritty or grainy. Um, you know, most of the time that's something where it got too hot and it just it actually broke down and just became almost sandy. It is. It blows my mind, man. Like I, like with meat. You know, I'm sure there's like a whole other art artistic you know conundrum with meat but i don't think of meat like i do you know fats and 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 chocolates and 
cacao butter and stuff like that. Like with meat, it's like you can overcook it, but then it's just overcooked. With with chocolate, you overcook it and it becomes a totally different compound almost. Oh, sure. It's, yeah, you know, and meats, meat does have its thing. You know, you've got to look at what type of protein, you know, if you're cooking something like a brisket or short ribs, you've got to cook that low and slow for a long period of time and break down all that connective tissue. Whereas if you're cooking a ribeye, you want to fire up that grill to 700 degrees and just sear that sucker and it's done, you know, so it's, it's the same cow, it's the same piece of meat, you're, you know, but a different muscle and a different, you know, method behind it. So it's, uh, I guess over time, you just, you learn those things and those are the skills. And getting back to my original point was there's basics that I think everyone learns. And cool thing about keto is you do have to know how to cook a little bit, you know, and there's different skills. You know, I always tell people that when I first started, the reason I started posting all these recipes and pictures is because I was tired of watching people just roll up ham and cheese and call that dinner. I'm like, man, there's so much better food out there that, you know, because if you want keto to be sustainable, I think there's two mindsets you have to have. You have to have variety. You know, you can, you'll get bored with stuff. But on the other end, and the end that I'm actually trying to work on personally is to make sure that you realize that food is fuel. And it's not a drug. It's not a, you know, a, a temptation because, you know, as a chef, something I get back to is I make really delicious food and that ended up being my downfall. So I want to make stuff very palatable. I want to make stuff that, you know, when it's dinner time, I enjoy it. But at the same time, I want to make stuff that doesn't trigger those, you know, signals to overeat or, you know, so even though I've been keto for two and a half years, I very rarely go crazy on the sweets because I'm I'm not a sweets guy normally, but I tell you what, I start eating some Lily's chocolate and I got, you know, another handful and another handful. And, you know, <laughs> just all of a sudden you ate, you know, 600 calories of chocolate. You don't even know what the hell happened. There's a, there's a whole lot that I want to dive into with this, man. Cause I think you're, you're dead on the money. Cause there's so many people that are in the keto space because they're trying to get a handle on their, their eating addictions, their emotional eating habits, and just all that comes with that. And I mean, it, it can be debilitating. Like if you've got an eating disorder, I mean, that is literally all consuming. And that's, I mean, it runs your life basically, which is no way to live. So keto has helped me break free of, of that, you know, in my regard. But it's interesting to hear other people and how they've done it. But so much of it goes back to just the the quality of the food you're eating and then the sweetness factor. Because even if you are keto, you start going to town on these keto, you know, quote unquote, keto, keto friendly sweets. And I mean, it's like, it's like the catalyst that, you know, can put you over. Oh, sure. Like, you know, some of those ice creams, you know, it's like, oh, well, there's only six carbs in that whole pint. And you're like, well, I, you know, if you're going to eat 20 carbs a day, you're sweet, you're ready to roll. But then you look at it and you go, there's almost a thousand calories in that. So it's not just a, a free ride, you know, that's so. Getting back to things, you know, I've lost almost 275 pounds in about two and a half years. Which is awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And it's like I said, I got more to go, but it's, I'm 6'5. I was a big dude. Uh, might as well just drop the bomb now. I was over 700 pounds. I was over 700 pounds. I could barely walk. I was, I had about three different near death experiences and they were all due to my career. Um, and I, I just, I was stubborn. I wouldn't give up my career, um, working in the restaurant business and, uh, 
the biggest thing for me was I also drank a lot, you know, big guy. I could chug down a lot of vodka and I smoked. I smoked almost a pack a day. And for me, I always, you know, I'd get this mindset. I'm like, all right, today we're going to do it. We're finally going to turn this ship around. And I would quit everything all at once, you know, quitting smoking, quitting alcohol and trying to eat clean. It's, it's damn hard. It's, it was, it was impossible. So you do it for a week and then you give in to one temptation. You know, you might hold two out of three in check, but then you give in one and then you give in a second. And by the end of, you know, a week or two, you're back to where you started. And then you're, you know, demoralized because you failed again for the hundredth time. So for me, I quit cigarettes first. I, I picked a day with my old roommate and we said, we're quitting on this day. And I did it. And, you know, that, and that was a victory. You know, I quit cigarettes. I haven't had one since. That's been over, uh, I want to say three and a half, four years now. And then after that, we tackled alcohol. I basically put myself in a detox where I didn't drink one sip of alcohol for almost two months. And even to this day, maybe occasionally I'll have a sip of bourbon on a special occasion, but I don't drink like I used to ever. And then, you know, finally we tackled food. And so for me, breaking it into step-by-step increments was my path towards success. Were you, I mean, this was originally going to be like a, like a food podcast, man, but we're, we're taking this opportunity and talking mindset. Were you pretty depressed when you were at your heaviest weight and all this was going down? Oh, massively, massively. I was basically convinced I was just going to go to sleep one night and not wake up. Um, about five years ago, I actually went into septic shock. Um, they still to this day don't know what it was, but I had a cut or an open sore that got infected and basically started eating me from the inside out. And basically, I called up, I still remember the day, I called up my brother and he heard the fear in my voice. And so he actually drove three hours to pick me up and take me to a hospital where the doctor basically didn't know what to say and almost started telling me, if you got some people you want to call, you might want to do that. And obviously that freaked me the hell out. And I didn't know what to do. So I started telling my brother, I'm like, you know, call this person, call that person if I don't make it. And to make matters worse, this hospital wasn't equipped to deal with me. And I was too heavy to take a, uh, a helicopter, so they couldn't put me in a uh, medevac. So they had to put me in a special ambulance, take me all the way back to the city, to a major hospital, where I spent about five weeks, um, went through about five or six surgeries. Um, if I hadn't gone to such a good hospital, I would definitely be dead. And uh, Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> what what was like what were the surgeries done? Was it just like like certain organs just shutting down or what was going on? Basically, you know, when you go into septic shock, you're basically your body and your blood become poison. So they had to go inside and basically pop me open like a Pez dispenser and start carving out dead tissue. And uh, again, I was so lucky that I went to one of the best hospitals, um Baltimore Shock Trauma, you know. I guess good, bad, or indifferent. Um, Baltimore's got a high murder rate, and we've got amazing doctors that save all the people they can, and I was one of them. But uh, it, it was one of those things where they kept, they went in, they took out all the tissue they could, 
um, then they had to keep an eye on me. And then if something went wrong, they had to go back in. So I was under constant watch, especially that first week. But I was in a coma for, I want to say, three or four days. Clearly, I don't remember it because you know I was on the other side. But it was, uh, I think my brother tells me it was about three or four days. And then I came out. And the weirdest thing is I was just so happy to be alive. It really didn't matter. You know, it all the other stuff. And, you know, I kind of just when I woke up, I'm like, damn, I don't know how I survived it, but I did. So so that was a that was a long road back. Um, Kind of take it back full circle to the restaurant after about three months of rehab and getting myself and surviving all this, and doing all these things. I went back to the restaurant and I fell back into the same old bad habits. I was good for a while. You know, I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I was, you know. I thought this was this whole new lease on life. And what happened was that restaurant environment, and I don't know how much you know about the restaurant business, but it's brutal. It's, um, and a lot of people, there's a lot of drugs, there's a lot of drinking, there's a lot of just excess in general, because that's just part of the lifestyle. And what I had to do is I had to check myself. And finally, you know, I remember talking to my boss, uh, the guy that I'd known. I'd worked for this company for years and years and years. And I, I said, you know, I'm not doing you any good work in here like this. You know, I'm, I, I'm just going to end up dead. So we kind of mutually said it was time for me to step away. And I, uh, I walked away from my job. You know, I was running multiple restaurants. I was, you know, I, I built up quite a career for myself. And I literally dropped everything and said, I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of go away. And so I, that was where everything kind of restarted from that point there. That's crazy, man. What, I mean, what, what did you do next? Well, I guess you could call it my severance package for working for the company for so long. But, uh, you know, and my, the guy that I worked for is a great guy and, and the, the company I worked for, great people. And so he said, why don't you look at one of these wellness retreats. Why don't, why don't you go away for a while? Why don't you see what, you know, we can find, you know, we'll help you pay for it. Um, you know, we'll look into it. And so I found a place in uh, Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, um, and it's called Hilton Head Health. And it's, it's everything. It's, it, it reminds me of, you know, like one of those Malibu alcohol, you know, drug rehabs where, you know, it's this beautiful place on the beach and it's got all this. and you know, it's not lost on me that not everybody has that as an option. You know, I had an opportunity and I took it and uh, I went there for five weeks and basically they cook for you. They feed you. You exercise every day. You go to the pool. You know, you're you're just you're in this environment where you just cannot fail, because if you just listen to these people and 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 take everything in, you're going to get healthy. So I lost. 50 pounds in five weeks, wow. you know, just flew off of me, you know, and that's the thing is, and I, I wasn't doing keto at that point. I'd never even heard of, it. didn't, it wasn't even on my radar. And it was funny because the last day I'm kind of getting ready to pack up. And this is, like I said, down in South Carolina and I'm from uh, Maryland. And one of the trainers that I'd kind of become friends with says, Hey, have you ever heard of intermittent fast? No, no, hadn't heard anything about it. So I looked into it, started watching some YouTube videos. Uh, I read The Obesity Code by Jason Fung, um, you mm -hmm. know, Jimmy Moore, some of those things. And I, you know, it was still strange to me, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. And then, so I guess I got into keto backwards. Um, I started with intermittent fasting and then 
I found that I was always hungry because I was still kind of eating whatever I wanted. Um, and it was harder to fast for me because, you know, when you're eating sugar, sugar is going to make you hungry. And, you know, the breads and the things, even the whole grains, you know, even when you're eating quinoa, and, you know, all these whole grains, you're still going to, you know, create hunger. Uh, so when I started doing a little more research and discovered keto, started really getting into that. Then I was able to fast. Um, the longest I've ever fasted is 120 hours. So I did a Monday through Friday. Wow. And yeah, and I was able to do it because of, you know, for me for, with keto, because I remember that last day before I started the fast Sunday night, I, I was like really lean. And this was before I really even knew what the carnivore side of things was. But I remember I had a big steak, you know, a bunch of butter and kind of said, all right, it was six o'clock Sunday night. You're not going to eat again until six o'clock Friday night. And, uh, you know, after the first 48 hours, you kind of get into a rhythm and you just, your body, uh, it's funny because I always tell people the one thing about fasting is hunger is not constant. Hunger will go away. Once your body realizes it's not getting fed, it'll leave you alone. That'll come back to check on you after a while, but you can kind of really control that. And if you have that right mindset, you know, you can really, you know, push yourself a little further. Yeah, I totally agree, man. I did a, I guess a four and a half day fast one time and I, all I had was, you know, water and then I would get those bouillon cubes. I had bouillon cubes. Um, so once a day, twice a day, I would heat up some water, put a bouillon cube in there. And some people would say it's not true fasting, whatever. It was pretty, pretty damn close. Um, but I felt so good, like mentally. I felt a little bit hungry initially, but once I hit that 48-hour mark, I mean, I was like rolling. And they say not to train when you're fasting, but I trained like, I don't know, three or four of those days, and I was hitting PRs on all days. I mean, I was like, I was ready to rumble. I don't know what it was, but I was dialed in. Yeah, I did cardio every single day. You know, I did, uh, I did about 45 minutes of cardio. And, you know, you and I are incredibly different people, you know. Your goals are going to be different than my goals. You know, my goal is to get myself back to a healthy weight. You know, I'm not prepping for shows. I'm not, you know, it, you have to kind of look at, you know, what your goals are. And for me, going from a guy who could not stand for five minutes without literally his legs and his knees about to go out on him to I'm heading to New Orleans in two days and I'm going to walk the entire French Quarter with my buddy. You know, so the fact that two years, you know, it's, it's been amazing. And, you know, something I always say to myself is it's okay to acknowledge the milestones along the way, as long as you don't lose sight of the, you know, the end goal. And so, you know, for me, uh, I'm getting ready to head to KetoCon. You know, like I said, New Orleans is on the way for me. So I'm going to stop by New Orleans on my way to uh, Austin. And uh, this is something I, I never would have done. Two years ago, I couldn't have imagined getting in the truck and driving to Texas. You know, it just, uh, it it wasn't even the, in the cards for me. And now it is. And even though I haven't reached my goal yet, that doesn't mean I'm not going to take full advantage of, you know, the opportunities I have and the, uh, you know, the, the newfound lifestyle that I've taken back. You know, I had a uh, Michael Gorman on the podcast a couple of weeks back and he was I talking talk to about him almost every week. <laughs> yeah, he's an awesome, awesome dude. And he was talking about his story and kind of how he went from losing all the weight that he had and just how his lifestyle changed in the process. And I mean, that's the coolest thing, man. Like 
you, I mean, having been at 700 pounds, that's, that's crazy. Like the way you're, you go about 24 hour period is totally different than what it is now. And I mean, you just have to feel like you've got so much more opportunity, like things that, that I take for granted because I just haven't thought about it. Like you're seizing on that, which has got to be like the most invigorating feeling ever. Yeah. You just got to look at it as, you know, for me, it's, it's a, it's all about the patience of it. It's like, I took 20 years to get that big. You know, it, it was, this didn't happen overnight. You know, this was a progressive thing where I just, you know, I gained the weight. And, you know, if you really want to take this back, you know, believe it or not, I was a three sport athlete in high school. You know, I almost played professional baseball. Um, so it wasn't that I wasn't athletic. I had a, I had a really bad ankle injury, broke my ankle, couldn't walk for four months. And I just packed on tons of weight in a very, very short time. And for me, I was always a bigger guy, but I was always very strong and I ran, mm-hmm. I was a pit, I was a pitcher. So we had to train, we did a lot of distance running, you know, it, I would run seven, eight miles a day on at least five days a week. And I was in good shape, but when that stopped so suddenly everything crashed, you know, my body was like, it took everything I had to maintain that healthy lifestyle. And then when I couldn't walk for, you know, three or four months, just everything went to hell. And so that was, that was the tough part for me. And then, then it snowballed. And, you know, for me, the, the biggest scale that I had was 500 pounds. And so after I hit that 500 pound mark and that scale maxed out, I had no idea. And I, I never knew I hit 700 pounds until. I went to a, a special clinic that had a scale that big. And I mean, you want to talk about taking your breath away. I said, you know, maybe I'm 550, maybe I'm six tops, you know, and, and I'm lying to myself. And when I saw it and, uh, you know, I'll tell you, the number was 732 pounds. And I, I just, I, I looked at, I looked at the lady that was, you know, measuring it and she played it cool, but I wasn't, I was like, I freaking can't believe this. And, uh, you know, that, and that was, that was a tough day. What, what, what are some like the biggest aha moments? Like when you were in the hospital and thought that you wouldn't make it past, I mean, that's gotta be a pretty big wake up call, but what are some other like aha moments where you're like, okay, this is, this is not happening. This has got to change. <sighs> you know, when you walk, uh, you know, this is always one thing that I, I, I say, when you look at every chair in a room and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to break that thing in half. You know, and and that's just no way to live. And that was where I was getting to. It's like I had to plan out my day on what chairs could support my weight, you know, what, where I could go. I mean, if I saw a restaurant and I I never went to restaurants. It's so funny. I was a chef at probably four restaurants and you probably wouldn't catch me dead in the dining room of any of them, Um, especially when they were busy. You know, when customers want to come out and meet, you know, have the chef come out and do a little table side, you know, talk and, you know, talk to them about the specials. I sent out my sous chefs every night. No one even knew I existed. Um, I, I hid from the customers, you know, and, and I was, like I said, I was a very talented chef. I, I, I'm not going to downplay that. I knew what I was doing. I ran some really good restaurants. Um, you know, a lot of them are still in business right now and they're still thriving on recipes that I, you know, put together years and years ago. And, you know, in a way, I look back at that. I'm like, you know, man, 
you know, who knows what I could have done with that career. But at the end of the day, I think I w- I'd be dead. I wouldn't be here. So for me, just that aha moment of realizing that your environment is probably the most important thing for your success or your failure. That and the people around you. You know, if you've got people that are enabling you and, you know, I had a lot of good friends and nobody, well, at least very few of them wanted to step up and say, Frank, you're going to be dead soon. And it's not that I didn't realize it. I wasn't naive to that, but it, it took, it took me realizing that I had to take myself out of that environment and just change just about everything in my life. You know, uh, we, we still joke that. I, you know, I'm, I've become a hippie, essentially, you know, whenever we talk about, you know, what we're going to cook for dinner, you know, somebody's like, well, you know, I've got this canola margarine butter. And I'm like, no, no, I'll bring over some grass fed butter. We're we're not eating like, you know, <laughs> that's good though, man. Yeah. And it's, and I enjoy it. Like it's, it's fun because the other beautiful thing about keto is I kind of learn a whole new just world of ingredients. I never cooked with almond flour. I never cooked with, you know, you know, coconut flour. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. I didn't use ghee that often. Um, you know, when you work in the restaurant business, you know, a lot of times you're using canola oil. I mean, our fryer was like the soybean, you know, it was, it was a train wreck. So I, I can't even imagine, you know, all the things and you know, something I think about when I was cooking, I really only ate one meal a day. So in a way I was fasting or so I thought I was, but as a chef, you're tasting food all day long. Mm -hmm. So my body was just, even though it wasn't a ton of food, it was a couple hundred calories at every clip. You know, if I'm, you know, making a blue cheese dressing, that's got a ton of calories in it, you know, and then let's, I can't just eat a scoop of blue cheese. So I dip a wing in it. There's another hundred calories. Then, you know, so it, it all snowballed. And then for me, at the end of the day, what do you do after you get off at the restaurant? You go out drinking with all your cooks. And so I'm putting down a thousand calories of alcohol. And I think even with the keto world, you know, where people are having keto cocktails and stuff like that, you know, that's not a free ride either. You know, you got to think about how many calories there's somewhere between 60 and 70 calories in an ounce of vodka. And there's no carbs in it, but that's 60 or 70 calories. If you go out and order at a restaurant, most of the time you're at least getting an ounce and a half to two ounces. You know, so if you have three or four drinks, all of a sudden that's an extra 500 calories. And that can sometimes be the difference between creating a caloric deficit and, you know, kind of just staying in maintenance. And, you know, for people that have reached their maintenance weight and, you know, or people that you know have reached their goals, that's great. I, I, I applaud them and you guys deserve it. You should have those cocktails. But for me, it's just not worth it. So very rarely do I even have a sip of alcohol anymore, which, you know, to any of my friends that know me, that still blows them away. Yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy, man. Like I I've got all kinds of clients and they all have, you know, different goals, but they they sometimes ask, you know, what they can get away with, so to speak, for lack of a better word. And I don't know, man, I've got a pretty strict opinion on that. Like if you have a specific goal in your mind, or a certain composition that you want to obtain, then just like, you know, put all that stuff on the wayside, like reach that goal, maintain that goal for a little bit, kind of reset your body at that baseline, that homeostatic point, and then you can get away with a lot more stuff. And then it's it's not really a, an adverse thing. But 
until then, it's going to be just constant setback after constant setback. So having that strict mentality towards it like you do is, is 100% the way to go. Yeah, and, you know, Gormy, you know, I've been impressed, and I know he's working with uh, Keto Road. And, you know, I've kind of had conversations with Gormy, I guess, for over a year now. And he's really kicked it into high gear in these last six months, you know, since getting a trainer. And, uh, you know, I, I think after we get off the podcast today, I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with you guys about that. Because it's funny, when you lose 250 pounds and you're still not where you want to be, that can actually be a little soul crushing too. And it's, and for me, I've been able to keep that mindset and I've been able to keep a positive attitude knowing that this isn't going to happen overnight. This is going to take some work, but you know, most people that lose 250 you know pounds, they're throwing ticker tape parades and celebrating and go on, on TV shows, you know, and me, I think I'm just over the halfway part, you know? So it's, I, I've crested the mountain, but I still got a hell of a lot, you know, with, hell of a long way to go so to see a guy like you know gormy there who got himself almost there but kind of needed a little bit of help towards the end and kind of recalibrate and you know do things a little bit differently and to see him crushing it the way he is uh, it, I, I'll, I'll be honest he's one of the guys that i look to you know for inspiration and uh it, it's it's not that people like you know you and danny vega i mean Obviously, you're inspirational to so many people, but your goals and my goals are very, very different. So you got to look at, you know, what you want to accomplish at the end of the day. And and that's what it is. And so I'm hitting that next stride. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, it's, it's really good to find somebody that's that's, you know, walked a mile in your shoes, so to speak. You don't want to I mean, you don't want to work with somebody that's never experienced what it is you're going through, because then. Like there's just a disconnect. There's no way to relate. And that relatability factor is what makes a good coach because when you're going through a hard time, it's like they've been there before themselves. They know what's going on. They can say the right words to get you back on the right track. So, you know, find someone that's that's gone through something similar is going to be key for sure. And then just having somebody to bounce ideas off and like, you know, vent your frustrations to. I mean, I think having an accountability partner with anything in life, whether it be nutrition, fitness, you know, business, whatever. Just having someone to talk to that can lend an open ear. I mean, that's that's that goes a long ways. Oh, sure. You know, my brother, uh, everybody kind of started seeing me lose weight and having success. And, you know, then everybody starts asking questions. Well, what are you doing? You know, this and that. And, you know, when I told him that I was fasting, you know, 48, 72 hours, you know, I, I remember my brother going, all right, I'm going to start researching this so you don't end up dead. So he started looking into it and then he started fasting. My brother lost 30 pounds. You know, my father lost 30 pounds. My sister-in-law lost weight. You know, it's and it, all of a sudden it was so fantastic that I was able to be a catalyst for basically everyone in my family to lose weight. And then that world even got bigger. I started having people that I hadn't talked to in 15 years on Facebook that I went to like high school with. And they're like, man, I've been seeing all the foods you've been cooking and all the weight you've been losing. And I started making some of your recipes. And then I, you know, and I lost this amount of weight and I'm like, how cool is that? I mean, that's just that to this day, that's the thing that blows me away more than anything about what I've been doing is that I've been able to help out other people. And that's not what I set out to do. Honestly, this was a very selfish mission. You know, this was don't die, get healthy and find whatever it is that's going to make you happy and thrive. And then it just kind of morphed into 
people started asking me questions. How do I cook this? You know, what, what sauce goes good with this? And, you know, so I was able to take that culinary knowledge that I did have and help people, you know, and I tell you, I can't go a single night with these, all these keto Facebook groups without getting a private message. And, and I never, I never mind, you know, I get ridiculous questions. I get legitimate questions and I answer every single one because you know, if they're going to take the time and reach out to a stranger and, you know, ask, you know, for some help or some advice, and it's something that I'm qualified to do, you know, I'm not qualified to give you weight loss advice, but I am qualified to tell you what sauce goes best. Now, that, that's awesome, man. There's literally nothing more fulfilling in life than knowing that the message you're putting out there is having a positive impact on others and, and resulting in like a positive change, like tangible change in their life. I mean, that is literally what gets me up in the morning. So knowing that you're getting the same thing from people that have you know, trying to accomplish something similar is, is that's, that's inspirational, man. You should be proud of yourself. I think that's part of what a community is, you know, and, and the community of, you know, all these people doing keto and trying this, we all have different reasons. And for a lot of people, you're going to be the right guy to give them the advice or the motivation or the knowledge. But then there's people that need my advice and, you know, I'm more than happy to help out. And it, that's what do they say? It takes a village. And, it's kind of cool because I I have found my niche in this community um, where, and there's so many good resources. I mean, by no means am I the, you know, only person that knows how to cook. You know, there's so many good cooks and there's so many, you know, recently I've kind of really started to build a blog and, you know, I, I have a website now. And so I never owned a camera in my entire life other than my cell phone. And, you know, I started asking some bloggers, you know, hey, camera you use you know i didn't expect any response i kind of ex expected these people to be like yeah piss off you know who's this idiot asking and they were so nice they you know oh i use this camera and i do this and you should try this and you should talk to this person and i'm like these people don't know me from a hole in the ground and they're reaching out and they're helping and they're you know they're supporting me they're you know it's 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 blown me away and it's it's so cool to have that magic of 2019 where we can you know sit here and have conversations on our phones and broadcast to the world and talk to all these people and have all these resources you know in the palm of our hand that's there's a lot to be said for that man like it's pretty cool that you know any message that i put out or any message you put out can have a positive impact on somebody else's life so much so that they're inspired and motivated and you know enthused enough to make a change but to go beyond that and like put that information in their story and their lessons learned out to the public to help even more people become this, you know, exponentially growing body of just awesomeness is pretty freaking cool, man. The fact that we have the social media and the cameras and the video capabilities that we do, the podcasting ability like that. I mean, it, it's almost, I don't want to say it's selfish not to put yourself out there, but you have, if you have a message to share, if you have the ability to positively impact somebody else's life, do it you know i mean that what else do you have to live for you know yeah now and i'll be the first person to admit i'm fairly incognito you know i um you know i'm not posting selfies every day i, I had a couple people that were like you know i have no idea what you look like i'm like you don't need to know what i look like no it, it's funny 99 percent of the pictures you'll see of me are with sunglasses cooking something you know out on the grill because it's it's summer so i'm getting a lot of recipes done for people on the grill um you know, and, and that's that's what I love to do. I love cooking outside. I mean, there's there's not much better. I, I know you were talking to Kurt from uh, Caribbean not too long ago, mm -hmm. and 
and we talk a lot about you know different grilling methods and stuff like that so it, it's cool he's another guy that you know just through this community of people that uh i've been able to kind of hook up with and have these conversations with but uh yeah it's everybody's got their place everybody's you know if we all had the same information it really would kind of get redundant quick but everybody's yeah. got a different piece of the puzzle to bring you know to the party and, and put it all together well speaking of you know just some technique and whatnot man bring bring some some ideas into the table as far as like maybe some hidden gems in the cooking world that a lot of people in the space might not be privy to like what are some some cooking methods techniques and ways that you incorporate different foods and whatnot to make the dishes the way you do all right well one this and again i this is goes back to what i always see people doing and whenever you start off and you're going to sear something in a pan don't sear it in just butter so if you use like avocado oil which has a very high smoke point you can crank up to high and that avocado oil won't break down now what you can do that is you can actually add butter to the avocado oil and the avocado oil will raise the smoke point of the butter so that butter won't burn then you can sear your fish, you can sear your chicken, you can do all that, and you won't have that burnt kind of buttery taste. You'll have that you know, richness. Now, if you want to brown the butter, that's fine. That's a different method, you know, and that's going to be done slowly to create kind of a nuttiness out of that butter. Um, so that's one that I see a lot. Uh, when you're making butter sauces, turn off the heat at the end and slowly whisk in the butter. Um, what I see people doing is you got this boiling hot pot and they're throwing butter into it and it's just separating like just immediately. So they'll be making like scampies or, you know, lemon garlic sauces and stuff like that. And it just, it looks like a, just a disgusting, greasy pool of butter on top. And if they just, what you do is when you get your sauce where you want it, turn off the heat and then you just whisk in about a tablespoon at a time. And the butter will emulsify and cool down the sauce, and then you'll have a perfectly smooth velvety sauce. So there's, there's okay. I've definitely been guilty of doing all those things wrong. Oh, trust me, I, I see it all the time. And it's you know, why would you know that? But you know, over the years, I've learned it. And God knows, when I was a 16 year old cook, I did that all the time, and I wondered why my sauces looked like a train wreck. So you know, you you learn skills over the time. I was very lucky that I never went to culinary school, but I learned from some really good chefs over the time that were willing to, uh, you know, teach me. And then I was able to pass my knowledge on to some other chefs along the years. And, you know, again, very similar to the keto community. You know, I had a lot to offer a lot of young cooks. Uh, one of the restaurants that I was the chef at was at the, uh, the beach on the East coast in Delaware. And so we would get J1 uh, visa students that were from all over the world, from uh, Moldova, from Bulgaria, from the Dominican Republic. And these kids just wanted a summer job and they wanted to live at the beach and they didn't speak a word of English. And by the end of the summer, I had a cook that worked for me for three years from Bulgaria and he'd never eaten fish in his life. But by the time he left, he was one of the best fish cooks I ever saw. That's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool. What about... um? Let's just talk about fish for a second because I'm I'm keen to improve my fish cooking capabilities because I don't get the opportunity too much because Crystal doesn't like it. So what what's a good, like, foolproof way to cook fish? Like, what kind of fish do I need to get? What Just walk me through. Like, if I'm going to go to the grocery store after this call, what do I need to do? All right. First thing you want to do is you want to look at the eyeballs of a fish. So 
Now, if you've got a whole fish, that, so that's the first place to start. Fish should smell like the ocean. It should not smell like a sewer. So if you go into a fish market, and it, it's going to have a smell, but that smell should be kind of a fresh ocean smell. Um, so if you walk in and you smell that and it smells like death, you may want to just turn around. Um, but most reputable stores, you know, your Whole Foods, obviously, you know, Harris Teeters. I don't know what you guys have down in your neck of the woods. But, um, you know, if you go to a reputable seafood market or a grocery store, you're going to find good stuff. Um, you don't want it to be slimy. You almost want it to be dry because if it is in mm -hmm. that display, it's going to have air kind of, you know, moving through. You know, you've got convection, you know, cold air going through there. So the fish should be almost dry. Um, Obviously, have some moisture, but it shouldn't be slimy. Slimy is obviously not a good thing. Um, I'm trying to think what else. So, if you want to cook white fish like flounder, um, tilapia, cod, pollock, those are very delicate fish. And so, they're not going to work well on the grill. So, you'll see people trying to grill a piece of cod and then they just scrape it off and then it ends up looking like cat food by the time they're done, you know, trying to plate it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and I, that's that's something you see a lot. So if you're going to grill fish, because it is summertime, you want fish like salmon, uh, like mahi, uh, mako shark is actually really good. Tuna is great. You know, salmon, if I didn't say that one. So you want to find, if you're going to grill, find something with a firm texture uh, that can handle that, uh, you know, the grill. Otherwise, if it is a white fish and a delicate fish, you might want just uh you know roast it in the oven with some uh, lemon and some butter, maybe some white wine, and just delicately roast it at maybe 350 for about 10, 12 minutes. And uh, one other tip is don't have to cook fish to 165, 170 degrees like you would chicken. You want to cook it to about 140 degrees and let it kind of work its way up to about 145. That's where it's perfect. It's going to be nice and buttery and have beautiful texture. It'll flake off on the fork. Um, but if you cook it to 170 degrees, you're going to be eating sawdust. All right. So I'm going to get a salmon fillet. Should I get like, like, um, like what kind of cut am I looking for? Because I've got a Traeger grill. I like that I can keep the temperature pretty well controlled on the Traeger. Traeger's Walk me great. through cooking, uh, cooking a salmon on the Traeger because I'm going to do that tonight. All right. So, I mean, if, if with a Traeger, pretty simple. Um, I would set it at maybe 375. Um, you're going to put your, uh, you got your pellets, you're smoking, lightly season the top of the fish. If it's skin on, you can go ahead and leave the skin on. Um, that's fine. Uh, something I like to do is slice lemons and lay the lemons out over the top of the fish, or you can actually put the lemons underneath the fish. I don't know if you have a cedar plank, but that's another option. That's something that's really easy to do is if you do cedar plank salmon. And you can get these on Amazon or basically any grocery store in the uh, the grilling section. You soak your cedar plank for about 30 minutes so that uh, it won't just burn up when it hits the grill. And what happens is that cedar will kind of warm up. It'll bow a little bit, but it'll release all the aromatics in the cedar into the fish and into the smoker or the grill. And it's perfect. And then you can eat it right off the plank. So no mess, no fuss. You don't have to flip it. All you want to do, um, something I always recommend to people is to, skin side on the cedar, uh, skin side down. Yeah. Skin side down on the cedar. 
And uh, you know, like I said, if it is, if it's already been uh, filleted and doesn't have the skin on it, that's not a big deal. You're not going to get crispy skin unless you pan sear it. That's pretty much, even on a grill, it's really tough to achieve um, crispy skin. What I always recommend is if you do want crispy skin, you want to fry it in a pan in you know a good fat of some sort, and you want to take that fish out and put it on a plate in your fridge for at least three to four hours. And what that's going to do is it's going to really dry out that skin because crispy skin, the number one enemy is moisture. So we want that skin salted and dried out as much as we can in the fridge. And then we want to bring that fish out and set it on the countertop for about 30 minutes so it comes up to room temperature. Then we want to sear that skin, skin side down in the pan, in some avocado oil with a pat of butter, and just let it go. Don't mess with it. And you'll see the fish start to cook because up the sides, that you know pink or that orange color will kind of turn like opaque, like you can tell it's starting to get cooked. And that's going to tell you when it's time to flip it. And you'll see the skin actually starting to curl up just a little bit on the sides. And then you'll know it's time to flip it. And the other key to that is not to cook it too long on that second side. So once you do flip it, remember that fish has almost cooked itself through to the center. So you're just searing the second side. So if you're going to do maybe five to six minutes on one side, you only need to do three to four on the second side before it's done. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then with the the Traeger salmon example, you said 375 with lemon on top? Yeah, uh, you can you can do the lemon on top or you can do the lemon on the bottom. Uh, it kind of just depends what you want out of it. Um, if you want to get more flavor, you're going to want to put the lemon underneath where the skin is so that you've got more of the flesh of the meat exposed. And then you can use any kind of a rub spice you want. Um, I always like using garlic salt. Um, uh, Redmond's Real Salt has a really good uh, garlic salt, and I think they have an onion salt. And so I'll just use mm-hmm. a combination of those two with some good coarse ground black pepper, maybe a little paprika, and that's it. That's all you need. I love it, man. I'm literally, my mouth's watering right now. <laughs> I'm going to get the grill in as soon as this podcast over. <laughs> Send me a picture tonight. Yeah, yeah, I will for sure, man. I will for sure. So I got one more question for you, man. You get, you know, you, you had a lot going on, crazy past, huge transformation, and now you're you're bringing yourself forward in the keto space kind of you know, from your culinary side, what is the, I mean, what, what's the overarching goal, man? Like, what are you trying to accomplish big picture? Well, you know, at some point I want to write a book, you know, I, I decided I want to, I want to get a book out there, you know, and the first book I want to be just recipes. You know, I want it to be, this is a cookbook, you know, and it's going to be more of the culinary side of things. It's going to, you know, showcase a lot of seafood because that's, you know, something I really enjoy. Um, but, you know, down the road, I would like to get more into, um, you know, helping people out, maybe going over the, my journey a little bit more and, uh, you know, telling more of the story. But, uh, you know, for right now, I, I know that sounds funny to say, but I'm just enjoying the ride and I'm enjoying, you know, getting up in the morning and not being depressed and having energy and you know, if you told me, and I, as a chef, I would always sleep. And I used to sleep till noon every day. You know, I'd sleep till noon, go into the restaurant maybe at like one o'clock, and then not leave until midnight or one in the morning, and just start it all over again. And to have me up at seven a.m. with a cup of coffee, working out by eight, you know, 
getting all my recipes, editing photos, you know, getting getting out there and being productive and feeling good, you know, it it blows me away. So I mean, I enjoy all of that and you know, again, I'm excited to go down to KetoCon and meet a lot of these people in person for the first time and and just kind of be be part of it. So, you know, that's that's the goal right now. It's awesome, man. I'll, I'll be at KetoCon in a couple of weeks myself, so you definitely have to come swing by the booth. Oh, definitely. Well, very cool, man. I uh, definitely appreciate you taking time and giving me some some intuition here on how to cook this salmon tonight. Where can people go to find out more about you and watch the journey? Well, you can. Uh, it's Culinary Lion Keto on Instagram, and that's probably where I spend most of uh, my social media time. Um, but all of my recipes and everything you want to know is at culinarylion.com. And I also contribute all of my grilling recipes at uh, grilling24x7.com. So there's a lot of keto grilling and barbecue and smoking recipes on that website as well that I uh, contribute to that site. Very cool. I'll link out to those. I do want to ask you, though, where is the um, inspiration from Culinary Lion? Like, where does that come from? How how did the name form? Well, it's funny, you know, and this is probably me being too honest. So when I was a baby, my mother called me Baby Lamb. And I always felt like a lamb in life as far as just like, you know, I was always the victim. I was always the prey. And I wanted to be the lion. And so the transformation, you know, in my head, you know, I, I felt like a pro wrestler, you know, it's like, you got to have a badass name. And, you know, so one day culinary lion popped into my head, you know, just taking my chef background and combining it with, you know, wanting to be the lion, wanting to be the, you know, the king of the jungle. And, uh, it just did it, you know, somebody drew me a cool logo and it stuck. It's sweet, man. I like it. I like, you know, origination stories like that. So that's, that's, that's cool. No. Uh, the logo is sweet too, man. Like the culinary line, like it looks. You need to have that on a tattoo or something. Yeah, no, I'm thinking. You know, if if, if I reach my goal, that might be you know tattooed on my shoulder. <laughs> Looking forward to it, man. Looking forward to it. Um, well, cool deal, brother. I, I definitely appreciate the time. I'll link out to those, and I'll be making that same tonight. I'll send you a picture, and if there's ever anything I could do to help you in the space, whether it be, you know, the the camera equipment, anything, just just let me know, man. Hey, man, I really appreciate you having me. Absolutely, Frank. Take care, brother.